Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kovic and Lester Munson. Begman, you on Sports Court today. How you doing, everybody? I'm Chet Kovic, joined by ESPN legal guru Lester Munson as we uh, break down the smoke-filled rooms, take you behind the scenes, beginning, first of all, with Michael Vick. Lester, uh, Michael Vick, uh, outstanding year with the Philadelphia Eagles, albeit uh, a loser in postseason football against the Green Bay Packers. Now Vick, of course, having done the 23 months, having paid the debt to society, wants the pot of gold when, lo and behold, the National Football League may well be on the verge of a labor stoppage. What do you see transpiring from Michael Vick and his agent Joel Siegel over the next, shall we say, six to eight months? Uh, Siegel and Vic, Chet, have some very tough decisions to make. Obviously, he will be the most valuable free agent in the entire National Football League, but in a year of total crisis, with the lockout looming, what can they do? The lockout is probably going to begin in March, in a matter of less than two months. He really can't negotiate until April. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Would a team sign him on some sort of conditional deal pending the lockout, and does it bring his price down? I think it probably does. You don't know Mm -hmm. there's going to be a season. You don't know there's going to be fans in your stadium. So if Vic had had this happen to him a year ago, he might be worth $70 million. This year, he might be worth half of that, or the commissioner and the other owners could all agree we're not signing anybody until we have a collective bargaining agreement. Lester, regarding uh, labor and uh, negotiations between the uh, players and the owners, uh, I want to bring this to the table. I'm a layman. Obviously, uh, I appreciate the law but don't know one, uh, one-fifteenth about the law in, uh, uh, in comparison to a, someone like you. But my question is this. The 18-game schedule, could the NFLPA file suit in a circuit court where it thinks it might uh, uh, find a friendly judge, declaring that uh, the concept of uh, uh, putting its athletes in a forced position of playing 18 games represents an unhealthy working environment for the players? They can file that. They cannot file it in circuit court. It would be a labor action, and so it would have to go through the National Labor Relations Board. Whenever you have a complaint about wages, hours or working conditions, we're talking about both hours and working conditions here, then you have to go to the NLRB and you have to say what management, in this case the owners of the NFL teams, you have to say that the owners are abusing the players by making this demand, by forcing them, using a lockout to do something they should never do and that is physically dangerous with all the concussions and all the injuries and all of the elevated consciousness about this, it's pretty amazing that the league would now come back and say, we want to play two more games and hurt you guys even more than you already are in 16. All right, uh, tell you what, here we go. Uh, You represent the National Football League players. I represent the owners. Here we go. Uh, I want to move to 18 games. We will come up with a graduated pay scale to increase uh, players' salaries uh, 10 to 15%. We'll increase game day rosters to uh, 52 players. We'll increase overall rosters to 59 players. We will eliminate organized team activities during the offseason, except 
for a couple of mini camps. Now might you begin to listen. You're going to have to listen if that's put on the table. There's no doubt about it. That is the kind of offer from the owners that would cause the players to start talking to each other and saying, why exactly are we not playing? Why aren't we looking at this very hard? The players apparently dislike the OTAs much more so than hate we him. ever could have Just imagined. Hate him. The the 18 games with more people on the roster and with higher salaries, that is a very, very interesting offer. Probably the only thing that would be better than that for the players would be if you put in a rookie salary scale so that all the money that went to bonuses, these the ridiculous, the, the Jamarcus Russell bonus, for, to use the prime example, instead of that money going there, it would go to the veteran players, guys in their second, third, and fourth year. So... If if that's if the owners want to do that, there's not going to be a lockout. I don't think the owners are interested in that level of salary increase. They're trying to cut the players by eighteen or twenty percent. So that's that's where the tension is. Okay, how about if I threw in um, this uh, uh, cherry for the whipped cream? And this is something that should be done in the name of common decency. Although, as we know, common decency and National Football League club owners. Uh, rarely meet. Mutually their, exclusive. Their, yes. their, their scheduled dinner has been on hold since about 1951. <laughs> but suppose if I uh, represent the NFLPA, I now come to you as an owner and say, all right, fine. I want each and every National Football League team to ante up $500,000 a year to be placed in a separate pot to be utilized by those athletes who are legitimately diagnosed with depression, post-concussion syndrome, etc., etc., any cerebral any cerebral injury, that this $500,000 would be used to take care of their health, their medications, and in some cases, to give them a place to live. There again, if the owners want to make that kind of offer, the players are going to have to look at it very seriously. There is no doubt that the treatment of concussions and other mental conditions, things that you cannot see on an x-ray, that is a big problem between the players and the owners. The owners claim oh, we're interested in this, we're going to study this, we have all these doctors, we know everything. You and I know, Chet, that the owners view these players as expendable inventory. They don't want to hear about something eight years after they've stopped playing because now they have headaches and now they can't remember and they can't speak the way they want to speak. If the owners would recognize the need for that kind of offer, if they would probably leave the players at current levels, of compensation, we might have a season in 2011. Right, uh, Jim McMahon, the punky QB, is now uh, admitted publicly he has memory loss. Jim's about 50 years old. Yeah. That tells me by the time Jim McMahon is 60, he's not going to know what day it is. I would think that that is a real possibility. Uh, he, as we both know from watching him play during those wonderful years, he took a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he played with a lot of injuries toward the end. He, it seemed like he was getting hurt every time he ran out on the field. Uh, that that's the kind of thing that starts way too early in an NFL veteran. Uh, Carson, the linebacker, would be the classic Terrible. example. Um, and if that's happening to McMahon, that would be a really sad commentary. He's got a family. He's he. Uh, we know what a charmer he can be. That would be a real loss. My friend, over to uh, baseball, uh, the government versus Barry Bonds. As you and I uh, wheeled over here to uh, Dan Levy's uh, studio, you told me something very interesting regarding 
the uh, defense that uh, Barry Bonds' team may utilize when they're in court against the government? The, the defense is now looking at a theory that we know <clears throat> among lawyers and judges as jury nullification. It's a bizarre theory. Occasionally, it does work. And under this theory, they're going to say, in very subtle ways to the jury, they're going to say, why is the government wasting your money on this case against this ball player? All he did was testify before the grand jury for about eight minutes. Because of this investigation, his reputation and his legacy are already ruined. Even if he lied, why is it important now to convict him and put him in jail? It isn't worth even thinking about. It's it's a way of telling the jury, no matter what the facts are, no matter the fact that he lied, that he committed perjury, let him go. He's suffered enough already. It's the kind of argument that every now and then works. Now, he would never play in Chicago. It might play in San Francisco. But on the way over, I told you, if I was a jurist, there's no way I would buy it. But part of me says, Lester, at this point, really, what the hell difference does it actually make? It it might work in San Francisco. It's a different kind of juror from what we have here in Chicago. No question about that. And if they select the jury carefully, the Bonds lawyers could get the people who would go for this theory. And when the jury starts hearing about things that happened in 2003 and 2004, that's when all this took place, and they realize all the years that have gone by, they're going to say to themselves, what are we doing here? Aren't there more important things for the Mm -hmm. government to do than to prosecute Barry Bonds for something that happened eight or nine years ago? When uh, Greg Garrison, mutual buddy of ours, uh, (laughs) prosecuted Mike Tyson down in Indianapolis and knocked out uh, Vincent Fuller, didn't Garrison really win that during jury selection? I, I don't have any doubt about it. Um, the Vincent Fuller, as you and I well know, came to Indianapolis from Washington, D.C. He was there in his dark blue suit. He had seven lawyers helping him oh, in Lord. their dark suits and their wingtip shoes. They all sat there lined up in military fashion. Here comes Garrison in his loafers and his tweed sport coat, and he did everything but climb into the jury box and hug the jurors as they were picking him. At one point, he was talking about a basketball game, a Bobby Knight Hoosier basketball game the night before. He's bantering back and forth with the jurors. Those guys from Washington didn't know who Bobby Knight was. We're in Indianapolis. And that's how he so, aside from presenting powerful facts, he had so ingratiated himself with the jury that the case was over probably in three days. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chet Kopik. We thank our technical director, Dan Levy, as always. Sports Court, brought to you by American Taxi, Chicago's premier suburban taxi service. Remember, for you people out in the uh, burbs, whether you're trying to get to uh, O'Hare, Midway, whatever the case may be, especially if the weather is harsh, always rely upon the uh, safe, courteous drivers for American Taxi. We'll catch you next time around. I'm Chet Kopik for Lester Munson. So long, everybody.